the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. We're going to see some things that we need to learn as a culture because we're living in a time of moral relativism. People doing what is right in their own eyes. They are their own judge. They are their own king. They are their own God. That's this day. If you try to rebuff someone and say, no, 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 this isn't right. Well, how do you know? Oh, because I'm referring to God's word as the standard of moral righteousness. They will look at you as a hater and a bigot. Throughout the Old Testament, the children of Israel were constantly going back and forth from God and their idols. They would do what was right in their own eyes and end up in terrible situations. God knows what is best for them, yet they were always wandering. In today's message, Pastor Gary will be sharing about the moral relativism that today's culture suffers from. As Christians, we have to let God's standard be the bar in which we live our lives We cannot depart from His good and perfect teachings. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The book of Judges, chapter 1, as we start a new book here together. Let's begin just with a word of prayer. Lord, it's good to settle ourselves before you, to draw near to you as we open up your word here to a new book study. We pray that you would guide us and teach us by your Holy Spirit. We just commit this to you. We pray that you would use this book to speak to us. There are dark parts of this book, but you've preserved it for a reason, Lord. You want us to see just how far man can sink without you. And that you would, we pray, just move in our hearts to draw us near to you. To help us, Lord, as always, to be more like Jesus. This is our prayer. We thank you for your love. And we thank you, Lord, even as Paul would write, he wanted us to know how wide and deep and broad and high is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May we know your love. May we just cherish that be thankful that you loved us so much that you gave Jesus to die on a cross for us. So bless this time in your word. We're thankful for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right, Judges chapter 1. I'm going to give a little bit, not too lengthy of an introduction, but whenever we start a new book of the Bible, I always like to kind of frame the context, give you the background. So especially for you note takers, I'm going to just give you a few highlights about the book of Judges. The book of Judges is named after the form of leadership 
that is over Israel between the time of Joshua's death and the beginning of Israel's monarchy when they would be ruled by kings. You remember when we finished the book of Joshua, Joshua dies. He has been the leader of the people of Israel since Moses entrusted that leadership to him. He was God's man for the hour. Joshua brought the people into the promised land. It was a picture of Jesus because Joshua's name is the same as Jesus. Jesus is just a Greek transliteration of his Hebrew name, which is Yahashua, abbreviated as Joshua or Yeshua. And so Joshua is this picture of the one who brings people into the promised land. Jesus is the only one who can take us ultimately into heaven. But at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua has died, as well as Eleazar, the high priest, And so now the people are without a leader. Eleazar's son, Phinehas, will end up being the high priest in his place, but there's no national leader. There's no king. It's not the monarchy yet. It's a crumbling theocracy where God is supposed to be in charge of a nation, but the people are not going to submit themselves to God. And so this is a crumbling theocracy, not for any fault on God's part, of course, but because the people want to cast off God. They really don't want his rules. They really don't want his laws. And it is sometimes typical of our own human nature. We don't like sometimes when God says this is right and this is wrong. We are inclined to live our lives our own way. It is a sad picture of the human heart. This is why God sent Jesus to die for us, because he knows left to ourselves we're a mess and we have no hope. Well, this, is, this becomes like a picture here with the nation of Israel. They're going to be ruled by judges. And the book of Judges covers about 400 years of history. And judges in Hebrew, if you have a Hebrew Bible, it would be called shoftim. Shoftim is the plural of shofet. Shofet means judge or ruler. And so the plural of it obviously is judges. So it's so named after this form of leadership that Israel is under for these 400 years. And it is believed that Samuel wrote Judges, but we have no biblical substantiation of that. It doesn't tell us in the Bible. This is what tradition says, that it is likely Samuel, who was uh, one of the last of the judges, that he wrote the book of Judges, but we don't know for sure. When we look here at the book of Judges, you're going to find that there are 12 in all throughout the book of Judges. There are considered six major judges and six minor judges. It's not like baseball, the major league and the minor league. It's not that some were more important than others or more skilled than others. It's just that they get more press coverage in the Bible. They do more. They are, there's more recorded about six of them than there are the other six. So here's the list of the 12. You have Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, uh, Gideon, Tola, uh, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elan, Abdon, and Samson. Now, I will tell you that Bible scholars will debate about exactly how many judges that there are. Uh, these are the 12 that are listed in the book of Judges. Some Bible scholars say, well, it's actually 13, because when you look at Deborah, she's the fourth judge. This is in chronological order through the book of Judges, by the way. When you look at Deborah, some say that Barak was a co-judge with her, but others disagree that Barak abdicated his responsibility as judge, and that's why Deborah stepped up and God used Deborah. So I don't link him as many Bible teachers don't. I don't link him as one of the judges, but some Bible scholars do. They say, well, he's the 13th because he was a co-judge with Deborah. So when you think of judges, 
don't think of a judge like Judge Judy because they were not black-robed officials with gavels. The judges were military heroes or deliverers whom God raised up to lead Israel. It tells us that in chapter 2, verse 16. So a little bit of a different you know, concept. We think of judges in a legal sense, behind a desk, in a courtroom. But these were military heroes. These were deliverers that God raised up to lead the people of Israel during a time when they really wanted to throw off the restraints. There are two key phrases often repeated in the book of Judges. This is essential to understand the book of Judges. The first phrase is, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That phrase is repeated seven times. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the other important phrase in the book of Judges, number two, is in those days Israel had no king. So this is before the monarchy, and it's this crumbling theocracy. So they have no king. They have no national leader. God will raise up judges. In those days Israel had no king. And that's mentioned, that phrase is four times through the book of Judges. And then twice... In chapter 17, verse 6, and chapter 21, verse 25, the rest of the sentence, in those days Israel had no king, is everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's very telling to understanding this book. And by the way, whenever anybody says to me things like, you know, the Bible's a really old book, it doesn't have much relevance for today. Look at this. Look at this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Are we not living in a day like that? Where people are deciding to do what they think is right. They're defining what they think is right and wrong. And so we're living in a day like this. We have a lot to learn from the book of Judges. So however long it takes us to get through this, we're going to see some things that we need to learn as a culture. Because we're living in a time of moral relativism. People doing what is right in their own eyes. They are their own judge. They are their own king. They are their own God. That's this day. If you try to rebuff someone and say, no, 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 this isn't right. Well, how do you know? Oh, because I'm referring to God's word as the standard of moral righteousness. They will look at you as a hater and a bigot. Because they will say to you, you don't have any right to determine what is right and what is wrong. You know, because man has made himself central to his own moral standard. And when man is center of his own moral standard, instead of God being center to the moral standard, then you are raising up anarchists. You are basically deciding that you can rule your own life the way you want to. You thumb your nose at God, and you are in charge of your life. We're living in this day. And so we particularly, as, as Christians, have to understand, look, the moral standard is, is God's word. The moral standard is God's word. God determines what is right and what is wrong. And God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But as the culture changes, and as society morphs into different things, we as Christians decide, know what? You know what? Our lives are tethered to the Word of God. And so we don't shift with the culture. And thus, we're continuing to take a stand for what is right and what is wrong as God defines it. And when you take that stand, there's going to be people who will think of you in very disparaging terms because they don't like that you have a sense of right and what is wrong because to them, it sounds judgmental. To people who are themselves their own moral standard, when you say, no, God is my moral standard, and so I operate my life based on what he says is right, what is wrong, they will think that you're judging them. 
It's like, you're like, I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm just trying to live by what is really spelled out in scriptures right and what is wrong. So we're in this tension today in, in our culture. And there is this, you know, we, it's an overused cliche, but there is this culture war. And so, you know, as Christians decide, are you going to shift with the culture and become just like the culture? Or are you going to stand your ground and say, you know what? The, there are some things that God defines as right and some things that he defines as wrong. And wherever he spells that out in the Bible, I'm aligning myself with God and his standard. And that's what this is about. You know, there is a story of uh, one of David's mighty men whose name was Shammah. And you remember the story in, in the book of Samuel where Shammah, it says he took his stand in a lentil patch, which is basically a bean patch. And he took his stand to defend this little patch against the Philistines. And he slew the Philistines because why? He was defending this little, this little patch, this little territory. And he only gets like three verses in all of the Bible as one of David's mighty men. And why? Because he defended a bean patch. How does that get you in the Bible as like one of David's mighty men? Because here's the deal. If you give up the bean patch, you'll eventually give up the whole field. If you give up the whole field, you give up the valley. If you give up the valley, eventually you lose the mountain, you lose the whole territory. It's just, it's one little bean patch at a time, which is why what I try to encourage people when they seem overwhelmed by the culture and the progression of how things are going in our culture, what can I do? What can I do? Just try to work on your own bean patch. Just at least try to lay claim to your own family, protecting your family and do what you can in your own neighborhood and your own community. And then together we can try to preserve the land for righteousness, but it's a battle. It is a battle for sure. So this is very relative to our own day. We're going to see this as we go through the book of Judges. There is a cycle that you will see throughout the book of Judges. Israel serves the Lord. That's how, that's how Joshua left things before he died. Israel serves the Lord. Here's what happens though. Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Why? Because they're influenced by their culture. And then that leads to the, to what happens next. Israel is oppressed by enemies. Then Israel cries out to the Lord who wants to be oppressed by the enemy. So then they start crying out, Lord, help us. God raises up a judge. Israel is delivered, and then Israel serves the Lord. And you see this cycle throughout the book of Judges. They're following after God. They're in love with the Lord. And then it starts to wane. They start adapting the principles and the practices of the pagan cultures around them. Then God says, fine, you want to live like that? And then he allows the neighboring enemies to come and besiege them. And then they cry out to God, Lord, our enemies are attacking us, and God has mercy. And so he delivers them, raises up a judge, so that that judge would say, listen, this is right and this is wrong. you got to follow the ways of the Lord. So then they follow the ways of the Lord again. And then everything goes well for a time until they forget God, and then they get right back into this pattern. So this is this cycle. This is how they're living. And so let's take a look here at chapter 1. We're going to see the first judge by name. This is what it says in verse 1 of chapter 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? All right, a couple of things. First of all, remember the book of Joshua. I thought we had finished the wars. We have. But remember, they didn't displace all the Canaanites. So now they're having to go back and they're having to defeat the enemy that they've allowed to remain. So they ask of the Lord. Now, how do they ask of the Lord? Again, remember, as I mentioned through the end of Joshua, 
when they were dividing the land, they would inquire of the Lord through the lot. They would cast the lot. How, how would they determine the lot? Joshua would appeal to Eleazar, the high priest. Every high priest would have this vestment, and inside the vest were two stones. One was called the Urim, one was called the Thummim. One stone meant yes, one stone meant no. And so they would inquire of the Lord. This is before you could seek God yourself with the Holy Spirit's help and understand his counsel. They were basically pulling out a stone, right? Yes or no. And this is how they would determine things. So it's likely this is what is happening here. They're inquiring of the Lord. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, is now the priest. They probably go to Phineas and say, this is the question, who shall be first to go up? Which of the 12 tribes is going to lead us into battle against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, as they probably went through each tribe, you know, should the tribe of Naphtali go? And they pull out a stone. No. Should the tribe of Dan go? Pull out a stone. It's the no stone. Should the tribe of Judah go? Pull out a stone. Yes. And so that's their answer. Verse 2. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. You know, in other words, we're going to fight for each other. You're going to help me weed out Canaanites from my territory, and I'll help you then weed out the Canaanites from your territory. So verse 4, then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him. This is the king of Bezek. Adonai means Lord, small l. They found Adonai in Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Yeah, ouch, that's right. Now, why would they do this? Why would they cut off his thumbs and his big toes? They basically wanted to render him a helpless soldier going forward. Because without your thumbs, you can't successfully draw a bow, nor can you wield a sword. And if you cut off the guy's toes, big toes, he can't run very fast. So now he's, he's an ineffective soldier. Now, if you'll notice the next verse, verse 7, says, And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. So we learn a couple things. One is that Adonai Bezek had done the same thing. When he conquered some neighboring king, he would cut off their thumbs and their big toes as well. And so Adonai Bezek is basically saying, even though he's not a follower of God, he's acknowledging the true God because it's, it's God's name that is used here. And he says, God's paying me back. God is paying me back. You know, even a heathen here understands something about divine consequences. You reap what you sow, you know, in secular Verbiage, we'd say it's karma. You know, you're getting back what you what you do. But what we know this principle from the Bible: whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. That there are consequences, and that when we do things, there are certain consequences that we, that we will reap as a result of it. 
Now, the other thing we learn here is not only that Adonai Bezek, this pagan guy, has a concept of divine justice, that you reap what you sow, but we also learn here that the reason why the Israelites cut off his thumbs and his big toes is because they learned that from a guy like Adonai Bezek. In fact, this was a common practice of the day. The reason this is important to note is because this story gives us insight into the spiritual decline of the Israelites that I talked about in our introduction. How so? Because they're adapting the customs of the pagans. God didn't tell them, cut off the thumbs and the big toes of these people. Why are they doing this? They're doing it because they realize, well, the other pagan people around us do this, so I guess we should do it. This is the first step to the decline here. They're engaging in practices that were not ordered by God. They're doing this because they learned it from what people around them are doing who are pagan. So this this event here that is happening is a picture here. We're getting a glimpse into the spiritual decline of a nation because they started adopting the pagan practices around them. This is why it's so concerning to me when we look at our own day, our own culture, and people who profess to be Christians, but they start living like and doing things just like an unbelieving world around them. And it is the decline of not only it's inconsistent with Christianity, it's the ultimate decline of a nation. When when the only vestige of what is God's representation of righteousness in the earth, which is his church. When his church begins to compromise and engage in practices just like the rest of the world, then that moral standard, that representation of God, the ambassadors of Christ, no longer represent his righteousness. It is the decline of a nation. So that's why we, as men and women and young people who love the Lord, have to continue to be faithful to him and to raise that standard of righteousness and to lift up the Lord in conversation, in lifestyle, in practices, because we have to continue to represent him well. They were not representing God well here. They start adapting this kind of barbaric practice that they didn't need to do. It's like, you know, if God enables them to defeat their enemy, do you think that God needs help by having their thumbs and big toes cut off? Where God's up in heaven going, wow, thank you for doing that because they were going to be too fast now. (laughs) No, that God doesn't need our help. And so they're adapting here this practice among the pagan people. It's the decline down the slippery slope here. Verse 8, now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. And then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, and they killed Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai. And from there, they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And then Caleb said, this is verse 12. So this is the Caleb from the book of Joshua. Okay, Caleb and Joshua were buddies. They were the only two faithful of the spies when Moses sent the spies into the promised land. So that's this Caleb. Then Caleb said, whoever attacks Kiriath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Aksa as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, 
Okay, here, Othniel, circle that in your Bible. He's, he's going to become first of the judges. So we're introduced to the first of the judges here. Othniel, whose name, by the way, it's difficult to translate. Some translators say his name means God is my help or my strength. Thank you for joining us today here on Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Judges. It's a great reminder to the kid inside us, to the human flesh that is a bent to fulfill its own desires. Whatever we do, someone always sees it. Nothing goes unnoticed, especially those things we wished had been overlooked. Isn't that the role of a parent, though, to discipline the behavior of sin? Jesus is the same way with the Israelite nation and us. He doesn't allow sin to go without consequence. But He's also lovingly fair and desires each one of us to return to Him. Maybe you felt like that kid who's gotten off track with God. We can't be perfect, but we can pray that we'll have the strength to do what's right and follow in God's footsteps. Are you struggling with that? Would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry located in Leesburg, Virginia, committed to sharing the love of Christ with you through sound biblical teachings that meet you where you're at. To find out more about us, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.